Cool. It's good to see everybody. I trust you. I, I won't be too long because I understand there's an appointment some of you guys have got at 1 o'clock. But uh, <laughs> 12 o'clock, it's not 12 o'clock, it's 1 o'clock, isn't it? But um, yeah, nothing will happen for me much for the first little while. So. It's um, cool for me to have um, friends of mine, Alistair and Harriet, here today. It's good. They're great people. Alice is involved. We're both involved with the House of Prayer here in Cambridge. So uh, it's good. I've been worshipping down at Michael House a little bit with Alistair and Helen in the mornings. You might have seen the post I put on Facebook. Um, Alistair was playing the piano and I was playing the viola and um, Helen was singing. So it's good. It's been really good. Um, a great opportunity in the last few weeks to worship together and find kindred spirits, which is really good, isn't it? You know, they don't just, are not just in this church, there's kindred spirits all over the place, which is, which is really good. And, and we begin to find one another. And it's really good what's happening down there at Michael House that um, Helen, who's the pioneer priest there, has been given almost carte blanche to develop a praying community there. So there's a prayer meeting there every morning between 9.30 and 10.30, Monday to Thursday. And various people come, and it's, it's been really good worshipping, and um, it's been excellent, hasn't it? Yeah. It's great. Cool. Okay, well... It's a double-edged sword preaching, really. It's, it's nice afterwards, <laughs> if you know what I mean. The preparation can be a little bit kind of... Because um, when you... I need to watch that speaker, don't I? This time. When you preach, you don't really want to say any old thing. I could just come up here and say any old, any old thing, but it wouldn't really do anything for you. And it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of your time. So seeking to find out uh, what God is wanting to say to us. And my problem this time has been that we've been in a time of, of studying the whole thing of trusting God. Uh, you, you may have been aware of the emails that Mark's sending an email out every day with a, with a little message, video message on trusting God. And, and that's great. But when you come to preach, you realize you do have to trust God. And God doesn't, you know, do, he's not a microwave God. He doesn't, you know, you stand in his presence, right, Lord, here I am. Let's get the message and off we go. Um, it doesn't always work like that. And for me this week, it hasn't worked like that. So I've been in his presence, seeking him, Lord, what do you want to say? And I think a lot of it for me is it's heart preparation. You know, he needs to work on this whole heart of mine as well as your hearts through my word. So, so yeah, so it's been to the wire. Um, Bob thinks I always go to the wire, but uh, it was to the wire, to the wire, the real wire this time as opposed to the pretend wire, which I normally think I go to. Um, but, yes, I believe I have some things to say. And, and oh, look at my notes over. So I trust that that God will speak through them. And um, it's interesting that Alistair's here. When, when we worship, one of the things that he has a sense of is that, of being a friend of God. That's something he, he, he sings about and brings. And I've just been thinking about being a friend of God. Um, and I want to just start, start there. Um, and, and, and thinking about, about Abraham. Abraham in the Bible is called, God calls him my friend. That's fantastic, isn't it? To be called my friend, not just a friend of God, which sounds a bit kind of, uh, you know, kind of, it doesn't sound, but my friend sounds really warm and there's, a, there's, a, there's warmth there. So this, this was Abraham, my friend. So I want to talk a little bit about, about Abraham, the friend of God, my friend as God calls him. I know I talked about him not so long ago on the same subject, so apologies if you, if you were here. Uh, if like me, you've been to bed since then, you might not remember. So uh, you kind of, hopefully, um, I have something to say. But the, the scripture that, that talks about Abraham, my friend, or Abraham as a friend of God, is in James. 
James 2. And I've print, again, I've printed all my Bible bits out, so I am using the Bible. If you, don't, if you think, where's his Bible? It's kind of is printed out, so I don't have to keep fumbling through or using my PDA, and it, it kind of glitches on me. So um, I've got it in front of me. But James 2, and it's, um, if I read from 18, it's the whole passage where he's talking about faith and works. And, and I don't particularly want to get into that at the moment, uh, but I just want to pick something out. But, says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Of course, that's none of us. That faith apart from works is useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So Abraham was called a friend of God. And it talks about this thing, which is, is a famous thing, isn't it? This whole thing about he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, and it, it talks about the fact that, that not only did Abraham believe it, but he put his money where his mouth was, as it were, and he acted on that as well. Excuse me, I knew that was going to happen eventually. Um, so let, let's just think a little bit about Abraham. Um, you probably know the story. He was an old man even when we find him the first time. He was 75 years old when, when God spoke to him and, and sent him out from where he was. In fact, his father had been sent out before him and they'd only got so far and then they got stuck. But God sent him out to, to a land. He, he brought promises to him. He said, I'll make you. This is Genesis 12, 1 and 3. He said, go from here and from your, your family and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. Sorry, in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's this whole promise over the life of Abraham that his descendants were going to fill the earth, they were going to be a blessing, and everybody was going to be blessed because of him. And that God wanted to move from where he was, and God was going to bring this about. And he must have thought, this is great. This is good. It's good to have a promise from God, isn't it? It's good um, when we've got promises from God over our own lives. And some of us may have them, some of us may not. But either way, it's good when God speaks to us and, and directs us and sends us out. But as you know from the story of Abraham, it wasn't really quite plain sailing. Because one of the, one of the things was, although he had this word that he was going to be a father of many nations, and that the nations were going to be blessed through him, he didn't actually have any children. He didn't have a, a son, which he would need, really, for his offspring. And so that was a bit of a difficulty, really. But God um, had spoken this word to him. And, and what I want to, one of the things I want to really bring through in this preach, I'll say, say it right from the beginning, is that if God says something, we need to trust it. We need to trust God, that God will accomplish the things he said he will accomplish. So if God has said something to you, he will accomplish it. It may take 26, 25, 26 years to come about like it did with Abraham, but he will accomplish it. 
And so we need to, and this is what Mark has been talking about in his little videos and in his preaches, that we trust God. No matter what the circumstances around us are saying, that we trust God, that God will do what he said he will do. So um, Abraham obviously didn't have the benefit of Mark's little videos, and, you know, he didn't have the word like we have it. And so we, I was thinking that on the way in this morning, we have so much more than Abraham. We can often think, well, it was easy for them in the Old Testament. God just spoke to them and, you know, actually, no, it wasn't any easier for them because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have the people of God. It should be easier for us. It's not easy for them. They still had to walk through the rubbish of life like we have to walk through the rubbish of life. They still had to overcome by faith the way that we have to overcome by faith. So it wasn't easy for them. So that was just me trying to reorientate my, my mind and say, no, it wasn't. But I think, oh, it's easy. God just spoke to them, and then they did it, and then they got themselves in the Bible, and la di da di da But no, it wasn't. You know, we have, we have so much more going for us now because we have, as I said, the Holy Spirit within us to teach us and guide us. He's always there. He's always teaching us. We can always look to him. Uh, that, that song we were singing about, keeping our eyes on him, if we do that, he will always help us and lead us through. It might not be easy, but he will get us through. So that's what I'm saying straight off. But as you know the story of, of Abraham, um, God comes to him again. In, this is in Genesis 15. And he's, he's talking to him again. He's saying, fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward should be very great. And Abraham says, but Lord, what, what will you give me? I haven't even got a son. My heir is going to be this guy called Eliezer of Damascus. You've given me no offspring. Um, and, and then God says to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So he reconfirms his word. And this is where this great passage comes from. And then flip into um, verse 5. It says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him, counted it to him as righteousness. So there's that bit. So, so God has said to him, No, this guy Eliezer will not be your heir. I will give you a son who will be your heir. As time marches on, it doesn't seem to happen. So Sarah, Sarai, or, you know, they change the name. So there's a classic problem for me preaching on Abraham and Sarai because they change the names and I'm going to get into a muddle which is which. So please forgive me ahead of time. And just, just correct it in your own mind when I say the wrong one because names and me don't go too well together. Um, comes up with a great plan and said, it's not going to work for, for you and me, Abe, baby. We're a little bit old. How about you take my maid, Hagar, and you, as you do, with her, and see what happens. And so that's what happens, romantic evening, and all, all goes ahead. And she conceives and has a baby called Ishmael. And I can imagine, you know, that they think they're very clever, don't they? They think they've sorted it out for the Lord. We've sorted it out, Lord. You said you would do it, but actually we've, we've, got, a, we've got a cunning plan. We've, we've used, and I can imagine Abraham going to God, ta-da, Ishmael. But actually, God didn't say anything. For 13 years, God didn't say anything. And Abraham probably realized he wasn't quite so clever as he thought. I mean, the amazing thing is that God did look after this guy, Ishmael, because he got thrown out pretty quickly. And God looked after him in the desert, and there's a whole story there about how God looked after him and that kind of thing. 
But God let Abraham and Sarah hang in there, kind of, you know, having sorted it out. We've, we've, we've sorted it out, Lord. We didn't need you after all for 13 years before he comes again. And there's that chapter, a pastor in one of my old churches used to point out that between the end of one chapter and another, there's 13 years took place, whereas we just can read it in one day and we think it's just tomorrow. Um, it's a bit like my grandson who says yesterday when it could be, yesterday could be yesterday or it could be four years ago sort of thing. So, you know, time, time's not quite the same. But then God comes back again and in his grace, he talks to them again. And this is around Genesis 16 and 17, and there's quite a lot of promises there. But I, I want to pick up um, in Genesis 17:15 when he's talking about Sarai. It says, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. So he's saying, through your wife, Abraham, it's through your wife not through someone else, through your wife, I'm going to bless you, bring an offspring. And Abraham still, you know, it's easy to look down on these guys. You know, what would we have done in that situation? We can say, oh, well, you know, but, but you know, it, the reality is he has a bit of a giggle to himself. He says, I'm 100, she's 90. Are, are, you, can, are you serious, Lord? And then, and then he sort of says, Lord, but what about Ishmael? And God says, no, I'll bless Ishmael anyway. Yeah? So Abraham said, 18, other Ishmael might live before you. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, that's 21, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God really wanted Isaac. He didn't want Ishmael. He didn't want Eliezer of Damascus. He wanted Isaac. And I'm glad that story ends really well for Abraham. You know, that's the end of the story. He lives the rest of his life nice and contented, puts his feet up. He's got this son of promise. Son of promise can go off and be a blessing, blah, 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 blah. A nice story. We can all go home and watch the football. <laughs> nice one. But no, no. You know, he's waited 26 years. Okay, he's, it's been his own kind of meddling that's caused it perhaps to be so long. 26 years. But God hasn't finished there. Because God comes to him again and says, Abraham, I want you to take that son Isaac and I want you to put him on an altar in Moriah and, and burn him, basically, a burnt offering. I wonder if Abraham wondered about his guidance. Lord, sorry? Is it spiritually, is it getting a bit waxy? What did you say, Lord? He said, I want you to take your son Isaac and sacrifice him to me. I wonder what we would have thought. Because the whole, his whole life, really, has been going towards this whole thing of promise. Isaac, his son, would be the first of many offspring, the number of sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. But unlike us, Abraham got on and just did what God said. He had to go three day's journey. It wasn't easy, like it wasn't just take your knife and stab him now while you think, you know, before you have to think about it too much. He had to take him three, a three-day journey to sacrifice him. And, and it's a great story in itself. Um, one, of the th one of the things that I, I found that I hadn't seen last time was, because um, obviously they're, they're going there with the servants, 
And then it comes to a point where they say, right, you servants, stay here. I'm going to take my son up onto the mountain to sacrifice him. And this is the, the Hebrew. I have to be careful because there's a Cambridge theologian in the house, but the, my study Bible tells me that the, the Hebrew there says, instead of, in, the Bible, in my Bible it just says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. But the Hebrew says, we are determined to go. We are determined to worship. And we are determined to return. We're determined to go. We are determined to worship. And we are determined to return. Somehow, Abraham believed that God was going to fulfill his promise. You know, he'd believed it already. But that James passage says it actually showed his faith. This showed his faith. This showed that he believed that he was going to be the father of many nations through Isaac. It showed it because he was prepared to kill him. And in Hebrews um, 11, it tells us the state of his mind there. Sorry, I've got my papers out of order. Sorry. Oh, dear. What trouble you have on your papers. So it is. Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, this is a 17, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So he believed, God, you said that about Isaac. That will come about. Even if I have to kill him, it will come about. You can still bring him back to the, from the dead. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's putting his faith into action, isn't it? That's just, just thinking, mm, I, think, I think that's true. I had a warm feeling about it the other day. I think it might be true. That's actually putting it into practice and saying, I'm prepared to, to stake everything on that word, that I will kill, kill the promise in my life, if you like, because I believe, God, that you've got the power to bring it back from the dead. You know, we, we kind of think, we've heard about resurrections. We've heard about Jesus. We've heard about Lazarus. We've heard about... We, we kind of know these things happen, but I don't know if that he did. He just, just had that conviction that God was able to bring him back. And I've just been thinking about this, how it applies to us, because if you get a word to go and kill your son, I can tell you now it's wrong. Okay? Yeah. It is wrong. We don't do that. So, you know, not, that's, it's, we can't kind of apply it like that, can we? But a lot of us have got the promise of God in our lives. A lot of us have got things that God has spoken over us or things we believe or things we're looking for in our lives. And sometimes God seems to put those things to death. Sometimes God asks us to do things that would seem to destroy the promise that he's given us. And I don't know about you, but I look back at my own life and think, I've just turned to let the promise go. I've just turned to think, well, it couldn't have been right. It must have been too much cheese the other night or... I don't, it, but God wants us to be people that even if our life seems to be, even if God seems to be leading us oppositely against to, to the death of what he said to us, that we say, that is true. I don't know how God's going to work it out. He may have to bring a resurrection about here, but God will fulfill his purpose for my life. Yeah, do I, you get what I'm saying? God will fulfill. And so I, I want to encourage you to say those things perhaps that you've let you know, drop, those things that God has said, those things that uh, you've been believing for, those things that maybe even, you know, for me, when I was baptized in 1980, 
There was some prophetic word over my life, which I haven't seen yet. And I've spent years believing it, not believing it, believing it, not believing it, believing it. You know, then recently someone talked me out of it. They actually took it and took it apart and, you know, told me how it wasn't true. You just think, who needs friends, you know? (laughs) But we need to to hold on to the things that God has said about us. Because if we believe them, if we trust him, they will come about. If we don't, they won't. Yeah, that's what Mark says. If we believe, we'll have it. If we don't, we won't. So, but, it, but God is gracious, isn't he? God is gracious. Like with Abraham, Abraham, you know, had a son that was from the wrong lady uh, and to try and sort it out, and God was still gracious to him because God had got a plan for his life. It was God's idea, this whole thing about Isaac and the promise, and it was God's idea, and God was going to bring it about. But I'm sure he did some things in Abraham's life through that whole thing of, of taking his son and sacrificing him. And there's a classic line, isn't there, uh, that he says when, when his son says to him, uh, I can see the wood, I can see the fire, where's the, where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide. And it, it says God will provide for himself is what the Hebrew kind of says. God will provide for himself a lamb. So that's a classic you know, picture of the, of the crucifixion and, and, and the lamb of God and all those kind of things. But so it was, it was God's idea. But let me encourage you, if you've, got, if you've got promise over your life, which you all have, if you've got promise over your life, which you all have, none of us is just here for the ride. None of us is just kind of, oh, I needed a few extras, so I, I made Olive and Roger. <laughs> it, God doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. And I'll read you a verse later, which is fantastic. That I, I just want to, to show you that. So, I want to talk firstly, and I've just talked, yeah, steady, about the promise where you feel that God has led you differently, or is, is, you know, I know in my life, there's been times, I remember when I was uh, way back in about 1989, known in the 90s, whatever, I can't remember exactly when it was, when I'd been starting to have a bit more time to be free and to do things for God, and I'd gone to China with a group of men. And while I was in China, um, I'd been reading Thessalonians, and there was a verse that says, it talked about mind, mind your own, I think it says something about mind your own business, it said. It, it, it really did in context, but it was kind of like, because I had this business that was involved with, but I was kind of leaving it a bit behind, and God, and God said, mind your own business. And I think, oh, no, is that what you mean, Lord? So, and when I came back, one of my guys said, okay, I'm, I'm moving on. And I realized I had to go back in full-time into what I had been doing, whereas I thought I was stepping out. And it's almost like you feel that God somehow is leading you in such a way, or things are leading you in such a way that's putting to death what you really felt to be happening. But you've just got to believe that the purpose that God has for you will be accomplished no matter what seems to be going on. So sometimes it seems like God is leading you in, in ways that, that are putting it to death. And sometimes he is leading you in ways to put it to death, to see if you keep, keep on believing. But there's other times... When you seem to do it for yourself, in that you seem to destroy your own vision, uh, you seem to, you know, do something or, or just destroy any potential that you have for yourself, any kind of promise you have for yourself. I'm not explaining it very well, but it's almost like you feel that you've done things that are just so, so out of order, so bad, that how could God use me again, is what I'm trying to say. And I've been thinking about Peter. Peter was a man, a disciple, a young, young guy, I don't exactly know how old he was, 
And he was called in a miraculous way. If you remember the, his calling, he was a fisherman. He was involved with Jesus early on. And there was this miracle of the fish being provided. And, and Jesus called him and said, don't worry about this. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so he goes off with, with Jesus and he sees all sorts of things, doesn't he? He sees the dead raised. He, see, he walks on water. He sees many people fed. He, um, he gets, Jesus says to him that he's, you know, his revelation is fantastic. You're Peter on this rock I'm going to build. All these things he sees. Um, and he must have thought, you know, this, oh, I'm really one of Jesus' friends. He was one of the three that used to go off with him. But he kind of blew it, didn't he, really? A bit like some of us do sometimes. In Luke 22, 35 and 34. Uh, have I got that? Yeah. This is Jesus to Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith might not fall, fail. Sorry, fail. And when you have turned against, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Trust, on me. Trust in me, Jesus. I am super Peter. I will never let you down. I'm the one you need. I'm the one that's going to be with you. These lot are going to let you down, but I will not let you down. I kind of relate to Peter a little bit. I, you know, kind of that brashness, you know, I, I can easily say, yes, I'll do whoa. And then, oh, it's painful, Lord. Please don't make me do it. You know? It's, it's sometimes we can, in the enthusiasm, but he got a real enthusiasm. And then we know the story that Jesus is arrested, he's taken, and Peter is standing outside by the fire. He's asked three times, you're one of them, aren't you? You sound, you sound like one of them. It's a bit like, you know, you come from the Midlands, and Jesus is from the Midlands. <laughs> yeah, I must be one of them. No, no, I don't know who you're talking about. And three times he denies. And Jesus told him that when the rooster crows, before it crows, you'll have denied me three times. And he knows that he's let down his friend. He's destroyed his future. He was the one upon whose Jesus was, you know, going to build his church. Okay, there's a little bit dodgy theology there. But, you know, it's the, it's the revelation. But he was Peter. He was the rock. He was going to be central to what Jesus was doing. And now he's blown it off. He's let him down to little girls. Really, slave girls, you know, not big guys saying, you know, if you deny Jesus, don't deny Jesus, I'll rip your tongue out. She's just saying, oh, aren't you one of them? And he's kind of saying, oh, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. And it's really blown it. And some of us can feel like that. Some of us can feel that, yes, God had a purpose for my life. I believed that I was going to do things for God, but I have let God down. I have let Jesus down. I have done stuff. I've said stuff, I've thought stuff, I've just, or I've just let him down. There's no hope for me. The great thing is that Jesus came and restored him. And it's, it's amazing, isn't it, really, how God works, the sy symmetry. Symmetry is a God thing. You know, he was called at a miraculous catch of fish. He was restored at a miraculous catch of fish. You know the story? Because Peter goes back to his job. He thinks, I've blown it. I'll, I might as well go back and catch fish. I know, I know about fish. Fish don't, you know, you know where you are with fish. Apart from you don't know where to catch them, obviously. But you know where you are with fish. This Jesus thing is too difficult. I you know, I've blown it, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus comes to him and, you know, very gently asks him, Peter, do you love me 
more than these. He says, yes, yes, Lord. You know that, you, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And this happens three times. Peter, I said, do you love me? And I, I won't get into all the, you know, the, the, is it agape or is it all that kind of stuff. Um, that's for the theologians. I won't do that at the moment. But he says, yes, Lord, three times that he loves him. And three times he's recommissioned to feed his lambs, care for his sheep, feed his sheep. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us. When we feel we've let him down, he wants to come right to the point of pain, right to the point where we, you know, he said three times he doesn't even know him and he's probably put curses involved as well. Comes three times and says, do you love me? And restores him, heals him and restores him. And, and Peter becomes the man in Acts that we see that preaches and 3,000 people get saved. They go to the temple and the man's raised to his feet. All the things that Peter does because Jesus came to him and restored him. said, I've got a purpose for your life. You might have blown it yourself, but I'll restore you. I'm gracious. I'll restore you. So if you feel that you've really blown it, Jesus wants to come to you again and restore you to what he's got for you. You may feel that, you know, your future's just dead, dead, dead. Don't know what happened. It just died. Felt like there was promise. I've just, just died. I don't, I don't know what's gone on. I was thinking of Lazarus. We sang about Lazarus the other week, didn't we? I don't know if you realize we were singing about Lazarus, but, you know, you, you came, you knew that I would come. So then I was thinking, did Lazarus know he was going to come? But then I thought, yeah, they wanted him to come because they sent a message to Jesus. Jesus, your friend Lazarus is ill. Come on. And, but he doesn't come on. He waits. He waits. He waits till Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. There's something about three days in resurrection in Jewish culture. They believe that the spirit, or whatever they call it, is still around the body for three days. But after four days, it's gone. Four days is dead, dead, dead. Four days is not a resurrection number. Three days is a resurrection number. Four days isn't. Four days is dead, dead, dead. Jesus came on the fourth day when he was dead, 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 and called him back to life. Yeah, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll find life. Yeah? So... If you feel your future's just gone dead, I don't know why, or it might be the enemy's killed it, you know, for whatever reason it's dead, Jesus can come and call your future back to life. He can come and say, whatever your name is, Paul, come forth. Yeah? Lee, come forth. Whatever you, whoever you are, come forth. I've got plans for your life. I've got plans for your life. I've got a purpose for you. It's not over. It's not, you're not dead. Like Mark says, it's not, if you're alive, it's, you've still got a future. Is that right? That's right. If you're not dead, you're not done. Okay? So if you're not dead, you're not done. God's got a future for you. And then the fourth category, I wondered whether, I don't have to put this, you might feel like your future's not even started. You don't even know what it is. You don't have started. But the Abraham story is so good, isn't it? Because uh, they didn't have a child, and, and he was 90. He was 100. She was 90. God brought life into that couple God can bring life into you. So if you feel that haven't even started on what God has got for you, you don't even know if he's got something for you, he can bring that new life. He can bring that conception. He can bring that child into your life, that future for you. So I, what I'm trying to say is that if you feel like God's led you in such a way or caused your dream to die, if you feel that um, you've killed your own dream or, or if you feel that your dream has died or the enemy has killed or if you feel that it hasn't even started, you haven't got one, God can.
can resurrect all those situations. And most of us are probably in one of those categories or have been or will be. If you're not in one of those categories and you're doing great, fantastic. Pray for the rest of us and keep us going. But God has got a plan for each one of us. And he wants it to be alive. And it's unique to us. I I found this great verse in uh, the Amplified Bible. Amplified Bible, do that old joke. It's the same as the normal, but it's louder. Yeah. That's terrible already, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, This is in John 15. And this is is me kind of having a bit of symmetry, coming back to being a friend. (laughs) But I just thought this was great. Let, Let me read the whole thing from John 15, 10 to 17 in the Amplified. It's just really good. It says, if you keep my commandments and obey my teaching, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. This is my commandment, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another, just as I have loved you. Actually, there's a, there's a footnote in, from John 13 that I'd like to read from the Amplified. It says, the key to understanding this and other statements about love is to know that this love, in brackets, the Greek word agape, is not so much a matter of emotion as it is of doing things for the benefit of another person. That is, having an unselfish concern for another and a willingness to seek the best for another. Read that again. It's, a, it's of doing things for the benefit of another person. That is having an unselfish concern for one another and a willingness to seek the best for another. So this is my commandment, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another, just as I have loved you. No one has greater love nor stronger commitment than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends, because I have revealed to you everything that I have heard from my father. And this is the verse here, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have appointed and placed and purposefully planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing and that your fruit will remain and be lasting. Let me read that to you again. I have chosen you. I have appointed and placed and purposely planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing and that your fruit will remain. God, I just need to remind myself, has, has chosen us. He's appointed us. He's placed us and he's purposely planted us where we are at right now to bear fruit right now. Part of the human condition is that we always think it's to come. When this happens, I'll bear fruit, Lord. When I have this, when I've been to Mark's Bible school for a couple of years, I'll bear fruit. But God wants you to bear fruit now. He's chosen you. He's purposely planted you. He's appointed you. Because right? I, I when I was, um, sometimes I do this 
journaling. I haven't done it very much recently, but I was doing a bit of journaling the other week, you know, where you write down what you think God's saying. And, and God was kind of talking to me a bit about this. It's this whole, it, says, um, it says, Roger, use what you have. Don't always be looking for more. And this is personal to me. It says pens, instruments, etc. And I think once I have that, then I will do that. Learn to use what you have. Resist the temptation to upgrade. More, more, more versions of the Bible. Better books. Better writing books. Etc., etc. You have what you need to serve now. To be creative now. For God to use you now. It's in your hand. Your viola, your pen and paper, your Bible and books, your time, your understanding, your relationships. Serve now. Offer yourself to him now. We're always wanting more. And for me, you know, I'm a sucker for writing books. I go into Smith's and look at those. I've got loads at home in the drawer, empty. You know, pens. And I don't actually write in them very much. I've got this conception that I journal a lot, but, you know, maybe once a month, I'll be, if I'm lucky, I don't. So, but I have to have more. Oh, if I had that book there, I could, oh, look at it, page, beautiful. Get a nice pen. I'd write such beautiful things in there. But if I'm not writing beautiful things in my own books, I'll never write them in the new book. You hear what I'm saying? And we all do it. We're all thinking, you know, when the kids have left home, I'll have more time. When I've got kids, I'll be at home more. When I'm retired, when I, you know, when I finish my degree, when, you know, when the sun holidays come, whatever it is, we're always, but God's saying, it's now. I've got a purpose for each one of you. Each one of you. Each one of you. You might not have thought. And for me, I struggle in this area, okay? If you want to flummox me, say to me, Roger, what would you really like to do with your life? And I go, Because, But what do I want to do? I want to serve God. I don't want to do it now. When do we want it? We want it now. I want to do it now. Now, I don't necessarily know what that means. Some people have these beautiful things laid out, don't they? I think for most of us, we just have to trust that God will lead us. If we say, Lord, here I am, use me. Uh, I have, you know, and it's interesting. It's, again, it's a bit funny because I've started playing my viola again, really. Alice has been encouraging me, which is great. I've played it a bit. But, you know, it's just silly, the things we do. I've got, um, I've got two bows. I used to play violin, and now I play the viola. I've got two bows. They're almost the same, but they're not quite the same. So I've spent ages playing with one, thinking, is this a better bow? Or is that the better bow? So I play with this one a bit. No, it's the other one. Play with it a bit. No, it's the other one. Play with that a bit. No, I think it's the other one. In the end, I had to say, put the, one of the bows away. Don't even get it out of the case again. Use the one in your hand. We all want to be two bowers. But if we're two bowers, we don't know which one to use. Better to have one bow and learn how to use it. We want to have one life, one body, one set of gifts and learn how to use them. Trust in God than to have a choice. Because if we have a choice, we'll be dithering till the, till the trumpet sounds, as it were. <laughs> so don't dither till the trumpet sounds. So we need to trust God that he has a plan for your life. So I want to pray, and I want to pray that God will resurrect your dream, your purpose, your sense of purpose for your life. You might not know what it is. But you know, God has a purpose for me that if I walk with him, he'll bring me into it. And it'll be a purpose for blessing others 
Uh, one of the things that Marcus said, it was saying it yesterday, was, um, and I didn't write it down, so I'm going to forget it. But he's got this little phrase, isn't he? Love God, do good, and serve others. Is it? Help others. Serve means help. <laughs> what is it? Serve others, yeah. So, love God, do good, and serve others. Is that what he says? I, he's probably watching. It's not, it's not live. It's okay, it's not live. So, but the other thing is, one thing that struck me, you know when, um, when uh, Jesus is talking to Peter and saying, Satan is wanting to have you, but when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. If you don't know what to do, strengthen your brothers. If you don't know what to do, strengthen and your sisters. Okay? Strengthen your brothers and sisters. That's always a good thing. There's a friend of mine who was struggling a little bit, and that was the encouragement. You, you struggled a bit, but strengthen the brothers. That's the word. Strengthen the brothers. Strengthen the brothers. Strengthen the people around you. Serve the people around you. And in doing that, you strengthen yourself. And in doing that, uh, you come into what God has got for you. But often what God has got for you is to strengthen the brothers anyway, because we're all part of that, aren't we? We're all there to strengthen one another. See what I'm saying? So, use what you have, your one bow, not two. Use your old writing books and your old pens. Don't look for new ones. Don't, you know, it's great. Get, get, get educated, that's fine. But don't wait until you're educated to serve God. Start now. Start coming into what God has got for you now. Bless your people at work. Bless your people at school, wherever they are. Because God wants to use you now. And he wants to resurrect your sense that you are important to him, that you've been placed and planted and chosen and by him. Yeah? So you might, as I say, you might feel that God has done it to you by following him. You've killed a dream. You might feel you've done it to yourself. You might feel the enemy's done it to you. You might feel uh, you haven't got one yet. Or you might feel it's dead, dead, dead. Yeah? But God wants to resurrect your sense of purpose, your sense that he has a plan for you, your sense that as you walk for him, you'll be a blessing because we are the seed of Abraham. We're hewn from the rock, if you like. Each one of us who have faith, we're, we have the faith of Abraham. We're to be a blessing where we are, and that's what God wants for us. Okay, so perhaps we could stand. Could, oh, there she is. Rachel's going to lead us in... Um, do it again, because it's talk about the promise of God. The promise still remains. Great is his faithfulness. But let me pray first. And, and you know which category you fall into. And if you'd pr like prayer afterwards, if you come to the front, we'll pray for you as well. But let me just, you, you just shut your eyes now and just, just you do business with, with God. I can't actually do it for you. Just, just open your eyes, uh, sorry, close your eyes and um, just, just be before God and let him speak to you. Let him show you what he wants to show you. Let him show you uh, his resurrection power in your life. That what you thought was a dead end. That what you thought was just death. That what you thought was a catastrophe because you've messed it up. He can turn it around for good. And he can place you. Uh, he already has placed you, but he can cause you to be a blessing where you are. Father, I thank you. I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you like Abraham, you have a plan for each of our lives. You have a good plan. And it will come about as we trust you. And I want to pray for people who have allowed it to die for whatever reason, whether it's they feel that 
you've done it or whether they feel they've done it themselves, whether they feel it's just died or whether they feel they haven't got one. Lord, I, I just speak resurrection now over this congregation. I, I just want to read this to you and say that you haven't chosen him, but God says, I have chosen you. I have appointed and placed and purposely planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing and that your fruit will remain and be lasting. I speak fruit over your lives. I speak resurrection. That Jesus is a resurrection of life. Jesus brings life to your sense of purpose, to your sense of future. That each one of you, there's no uh, second thoughts, there's no kind of mistakes. Each one of us is part of your plan. Lord, I pray that in this month where we're thinking about trusting you, that we will learn to trust you, that as we walk with you, as we commit ourselves to you, you will bring us into all that you've got for us. And I thank you that all that you've got for us is so much more than we can think or imagine. Because your plans are so much higher. Your ability is so much higher than we can think or believe. So, Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters that you would strengthen them in your word and that you would have given them a real sense of being called to where they are, that they would bear fruit in their situations. In Jesus' name, amen.